This is The Breakfast Wrap with John Moore. Jerry Agar in for John Moore. This is The Breakfast Wrap for the 5th of July. The five things you need to know. Ford government moving ahead with a plan to sell beer in the corner stores. Security patrols in the subway to cost taxpayers millions by September. All of Ontario under a fire ban as wildfires burn across the province. Another candidate makes his pitch to lead the provincial Liberals, and Alec Manoa set to return from the minors and start for the Jays on Friday. As far as the weather is concerned, heat warning still in effect. A multi-day heat event continues with the Humidex feeling like 40. The temperatures will be several degrees cooler for Friday. Forecast for today and tomorrow is essentially the same, and this is it. Sunshine in the morning, a mix of sun and cloud in the afternoon with some chance of showers, maybe even a thunderstorm late in the afternoon, and the high around 30. The Breakfast Wrap with John Moore. Good morning, Jerry Agar again for John Moore. Still a little under the weather. As I said yesterday, we're playing it day by day, so we'll see what happens. Good to be with you. And uh, continue my practice here of opening the show with a joke, which I started just to indicate that I'm going to do the morning show differently than I do my show from nine until noon. Now, yesterday, when I told the joke, I said, "Okay, this this joke's not for the kids. But we figured it's, you know, eight minutes after five in the morning and school's out. Kids should be sleeping. Well, this one is for the kids. Okay, turnabout is fair. This is uh, almost a dad joke. Are we asking everyone to wake up their kids to hear this joke? Yeah, get the kids up uh, <laughs> to hear this joke. Okay, so farmer's sitting in the house. He's having, he's having dinner, and there's a, there's a knock on the door. He opens the door. There's a snail. He doesn't even wait. He just grabs the snail, and he throws it as far as he can. Okay, that's that. But a year later, sitting there having dinner, he opens the door. It's a snail. And the snail goes, what was that about? Wow, you brought the full kit <laughs> today. Not just the snare and the, and the symbol. Uh, snails, by the way, have four noses. Okay. Useless information. You got it. And also they can sleep up to three years if they want to. Why wouldn't they want to? <laughs> Do you think that would be interesting? You just sleep for three years and then say, what happened? Did I miss anything? And in the news, a few things. And on the soap operas, no, not really. Not really. Uh, It's still the same old stuff. So cruising through uh, the various things I look at uh, dark and early in the morning. By the way, what are so many of you doing out there at 2 o'clock in the morning? I can't believe how much traffic there is. I was on the Gardner and then on Spadina, you know, wending my way here. And I I, I thought, well, this will be, you know, I don't often come in at this time, except when I fill in for John. And um, I thought, well, I can cruise right along. And more or less, I could. But Still, it's not like it's traffic jams, but I can't. What's going on? Are those people going home or are they going to work like I was doing? What's happening at two o'clock in the morning? I had the very same thought because driving in maybe a little bit later than you, but right. there's easily a couple of dozen cars on the garden. I'm thinking, say, I asked the same question Where are they coming from or where are they going? I should just stop them one day, say, Where are you going? Yeah. Well, occasionally once I get here and I go to the parking lot and I come out, um, we're, we're down in the area where there's lots of bars and restaurants and that kind of stuff. And oftentimes there's groups of young people out on the sidewalk still having a good time. Everything's closed. They don't want to go home yet. I think so. that's easy to understand. I get that. But uh, anyway, uh, that's kind of an aside. As I was going through uh, various sources this morning, 
um, looking at all the stories. I came across Shaquille O'Neal at some kind of an event, and he was telling a story about raising his kids. And, um, you know, Shaquille O'Neal, the 10-foot-tall basketball player, um, he's not just tall, he's big. Like, he's, he's hefty, right? Um, and here's what he said. So, you know, my kids, my kids are older now, and they're kind of upset with me. Not really upset, but they, they don't understand. Because I tell them all the time, we ain't rich. I'm rich. <laughs> yeah, we don't. No, you got to, you got to have bachelors or masters. And then if you want me to invest in one of your companies, you're going to have to present it. Boom, boom, boom. Bring it to me. I'll let you know. I'm not giving you nothing. The girls, I'll, 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 I'll take care of the girl. But my boys, oh, they're not getting nothing. All right. Do, do you right. see the entrepreneur? Uh, so I just wanted that first part there where he says um, they're not getting anything. Okay. I don't know why the difference between the boys and girls. It's not the part that I'm taking up. What I'm taking up here is I think he's right. I, I think uh, Shaq is rich, but Shaq didn't start out rich. And the money came to him after he was grown up and succeeded exceeded in his chosen profession and the kids need to go out there and find their own way. I, this is very similar. What he's saying to a story that my wife had told me her best friend was sitting at home one day, um, just sitting outside the house with, uh, another friend and the dad rolled up with a brand new boat. Hey, look at the boat, blah, 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 blah. And at dinner, the dad said, Karen, you didn't seem all that excited by the boat. Yeah, but I was with uh, Susan and, you know, Susan's family doesn't have any money and, you know, we're rich. And so it's kind of embarrassing. And the father said the same thing Shaq said. Uh, you're not rich. I'm rich. Okay. You're going to have to make your own way. That's how that's going to go. It's a lot of advantages in growing up in a house with a rich parent. But I think that's a great attitude for a parent to take. Now, uh, another story here, and we're going to go to the excellent Siobhan Morris. Um, beer, store, beer in convenience stores, for some reason still a controversy, uh, but may be coming. It's a vow the Premier made before he took office. We need to have convenience for the consumer. We're going to fulfill that promise. To put beer and other booze in convenience stores. With the deal with the beer store that limits where alcohol can be sold winding down, there's optimism from people who want to put beer and coolers in closer reach. I hope by next uh, Canada Day, there'll be some level of convenience stores that'll be able to service our community. The government isn't saying whether that's a realistic timeline. In the spring, it launched consultations on modernizing alcohol sales. The Ontario Public Health Association has concerns, but passed. The agreement that the government wanted us to sign basically said we couldn't say anything about the consultation we did with government until an announcement was made. Atkinson says he would have laid out a litany of dangers in making booze easier to get. Increases in chronic disease like cancer, because alcohol is a known carcinogen. Um, increases in kind of street and uh, domestic violence, road crashes, theft. An advocate for convenience store says he has nothing to hide. I've been in so many different meetings and signed so many NDAs over 13 years that it's still the same song. Open market allow consumers to make choice. There's already convenience in Ontario. With grocery stores selling beer and wine, more alcohol delivery, grab and go booze from restaurants. Dave Bryans doesn't think adding more will do harm. There are no examples anywhere where the world has ended because you put beer and wine in 
in, in retail stores. He says it's time for Ontario to step out of a century-old approach to alcohol retail. We could get a better sense of where the government's going in terms of policy this fall. That's the deadline to let the beer store know that they do want to make changes to their existing contract. All right, that's Siobhan Morris, one of the people you heard quoted in that story. John Atkinson, executive director of the Ontario Public Health Association, is against the idea. He's going to join me on the show at 7.20. I don't agree with him, so it should be a, an interesting conversation at 7.20. You're listening to The Breakfast Wrap with John Moore. Jerry Agar in for John Moore. So as a result of being in for John yesterday, I was home watching television that I don't normally get to see during the daytime. And it's kind of embarrassing to actually tell you what I was watching yesterday. Nick, take a guess. What would I be watching yesterday live during the daytime that would be faintly embarrassing to have to admit I sat and watched? Um, a cooking show? No. I watch those, and I'm not embarrassed by it. Uh, was uh, one of those talk shows, those uh, you mean yaki like the, the talk view, shows? those yaki talk shows? Nope, didn't watch that. Those shows aren't aimed at me. They're aimed at women. Which, by the way, I saw that whole schedule, and I thought, is it just women who are home in the daytime these days? I, I don't think. I think the world has changed in that regard. Joe, what would you think? What would I have watched yesterday during the middle of the day, the live? That was. It's faintly embarrassing to admit I actually wasted time watching. Uh, MSNBC. <laughs> no, I force myself to do that. I watched live on, I don't know, ESPN 12 or whoever was carrying it yesterday, uh, the Nathan's Famous Fourth of July Hot Dog Eating Contest. <laughs> I sat and watched that thing. It's just weirdly fascinating. It's like a car wreck. You, you made it through the rain delay, too? Well, no, the rain delay had already happened. Okay, no, it wasn't like, you know, waiting for a baseball game to come on, which I will do. Uh, no, I was just clicking through, and they had just started on the men's competition. And who won? Well, I bet you can guess, if you know this at all, Joey Chestnut. He ate 62 uh, francs and buns in 10 minutes. He just basically shoves them down his throat. It's really... It's kind of disgusting, but it's also, like I said, kind of fascinating to watch. But he won again, and he's won like so many times. It's, nobody, nobody has a shot against him. Uh, number two and number three were competing with one another, going back and forth as to who was in second, who was in third. And, but they were, I don't know, like 10 hot dogs behind him or something. Now, did it give you agita um, or, you know, heartburn, or did you crave hot dogs after watching that? I, I, I had a salad. <laughs> after, after that, I did not crave a hot dog. By the way, in the after-action interview, the young lady who was interviewing, Joey Chestnut, said, what are you going to have for dinner tonight? And he seemed to not like the, the question. And he, he said... A liquid diet or something like that. He still had room for a beer was one of the things he said. There is a woman's side of this, and defending champion Mickey Sudo um, is still the champion as she forced down 39 and a half hot dogs and buns to claim a ninth women's title in the Nathan's Famous Fourth of July hot dog eating contest. Um, so 
she did 39 and a half and she beat the second place contestant who only did 33 and a half. The thing I find partly fascinating about this is the fact that both Joey Chestnut and Mickey Sudo are, are they're not fat people. They're not huge people. They're not, they, they're not huge like Shaq. They're, they're, they got normal sized bodies like the rest of us. I don't understand where all those hot dogs go. <laughs> they're shaped like a hot dog, you know? I guess. They must have, uh, like, all of their other organs are crowded off in the corner somewhere where the stomach has taken over their insides. Or maybe they just don't have hot dogs the rest of the year. I, I, has anybody ever asked him that? Uh, well, you know, he, they asked him because there was a two-hour rain delay uh, on, on the contest. And uh, on the men's uh, side of things, the women's had finished and it rained, I guess, and, and they had a two-hour delay. And they asked him, well, did that throw you off? And he said, yeah, a little bit, because he, he just has this whole process he goes through in order to be 100% ready to go, like a, an Olympic gymnast or something, uh, when, when he came out to start. And he had to sit there and do nothing. I think you'd get marginally hungrier. But I don't think hunger has anything to do with it. You get a text message here. That hot dog eating is disgusting, and I love hot dogs. I love hot dogs, and you're right. It's disgusting. Okay, I'll tell you a story. This happened with my son, my firstborn son. He's now the coolest, most laid-back guy. He works in a home for developmentally delayed adults. Adult, they're adults. When you first meet them, they seem like everything's cool, but they can't look after themselves. So he looks after them. Uh, it's very cool um, that, that he does that. But he was a piece of work when he was a kid, <laughs> i got to tell you. And, uh, and he's, um, one day I'm, I'm, I'm making lunch. I said, I'm going to make hot dogs. How many hot dogs do you want? And his sister says, two. And he says, six. I said, you can't eat six hot dogs. I want six. I said, I'll tell you what, I will make you six hot dogs, but you are going to eat six hot dogs. I'm not, I'm not going to be seeing two or three of those sitting on the plate, whom full. I want six. That's how he was. <laughs> so I, okay. So my daughter, here you go, honey. Here's your, here's your two hot dogs. It's all she could eat. Uh, here's your six hot dogs. And I sat there and I watched him, but I could tell. I could tell during those last couple of hot dogs, he was really struggling to push those things down. But he was not going to give in. He was going to win. And so he ate six hot dogs. You raised them well, Jerry. Here's the punch on the story, okay? Uh, it is that sometime later, we were having hot dogs for lunch. I said, how many hot dogs do you want? My daughter said, I'll have two. I turned to him. How many hot dogs do you want? Two. <laughs> <laughs> hey, coming up, we're going to talk to a professor all the way from Australia because we are told Australia is the country we should be copying uh, to see Australia's bid to make tech pay for news. How did that all work out? So that's coming up. Subscribe today and always hear the latest episode of The Breakfast Wrap with John Moore.
Good morning. John Moore is not here today. I'm Jerry Agar filling in for John. Good to have you along. I'm sure you're aware on some level that there's a fight going on between various nations and the big uh, tech giants like Google and Facebook. And it has to do with news and whether or not Google and Facebook have the right to just lift the news from the media entities that created it and then steal the advertising as well. So what to do? When Spain tried to force Google to pay for news back in 2014, the search giant, according to Wired.com, just left. They blocked Google News in the country for seven years. Now we are told Australia has done a good job and Canada should be looking to Australia to figure out what to do. Rob Nichols is Associate Professor of Regulation and Governance at the University of New South Wales, and he joins me now. Professor, good morning. Good morning, Jerry. Wish I had uh, visited your country by now, um, especially because, hey, it would just be nice to visit. But also, I have a daughter living in um, Tasmania, so I have, a, oh. I have a, a good feeling toward your country. So <laughs> let's look at the history of this thing. Have, did, did Australia get in the same kind of fight with Google that Spain did? Uh, with both Google and Facebook, but Google with Google, Google in the end threatened to leave, but decided once it had seen the new law that it would stay. Facebook uh, took a different course. And when the law was, um, before it had gone through our upper chamber, but had gone through the lower chamber, they pulled access to news sources uh, in Australia. And that had a significant effect until they stopped pulling access to the news sources a few days later. So what does that look like, Professor? They pull and I go online, I go to Google or I go to Facebook, what do I see? Okay, so for Facebook, it's, if you try to go to uh, a page like uh, your Facebook page, uh, uh, the 1010 News Talk Facebook page, you would see 1010 uh, News Talk and nothing else. The problem that occurred in Australia was that Facebook got it all wrong. They made a very big error and defined lots of things as news media businesses, uh, including Facebook's corporate Facebook page, um, several satirical newspapers, but more worryingly, um, the domestic violence helpline Facebook site and uh, access to our state health authorities. And that was just at the start of the rollout of COVID vaccines. So this was a, a big deal here. All right. Um, I've often wondered, because I'm not very tech savvy, but if they, if Google and Facebook pulled their content from Canada, could I not just get a VPN and pretend I was in Ohio? Yeah, absolutely. So v VPN in Australia uh, at the time did get you access to the relevant pages, the, but only to the relevant foreign news pages. So you could start to see, for example, CNN in the US using a VPN into the US, but CNN US was not available in uh, in Australia during that time when the when Facebook was blocking. So yes, if you've got a VPN, but a lot of people who use uh, both search and social media don't don't necessarily have access to a VPN uh, in order to go round the block. 
All right, I'm talking to Rob Nichols. He's Associate Professor of Regulation and Governance at the University of New South Wales on what Canada could learn from Australia's bid to make big tech pay for news. Do you think that countries have uh, a legitimate case against Google and Facebook? I think the, the, it's not so much the country as the, the news media businesses. So your business, you sell advertising on the basis of having journalists like yourself delivering the news. So you're investing in, in um, aggregating news information and curating it in a way that's attractive to both your listeners and to advertisers. And so Google and Facebook were taking that that professionally created news and adding their own advertising. So I think there's a balance to be got there between how should the advertising revenue be shared between the the aggregator and the curator of the, the content. All right, so what has Australia done? What's the situation now in your country? Okay, so it came up with a requirement that Facebook and Google in in good faith negotiate uh, a price for uh, access to news content. The news media businesses had said, oh, it should be about a billion dollars. Um, Google and Facebook started with an opening offer of zero. Um, and they ended up with a, an amount that was about 150 million Australian dollars. So this is all in Australian dollars, which is not that far off the same value as the Canadian dollar. So they they did a deal and they did a deal with most of the news media businesses. The way that the legislation worked was if you don't do a deal, a deal will be do effectively done for you. Um, and so the legislation itself has never been used because they did deals. Well, they've done some deals in Canada, and their legislation is threatened, and they've cancelled some of the deals. Apparently, they, they pulled away from a program, for instance, that was being supported with the uh, Canadian press, I think it was, um, where actually the, the tech people were funding the hiring of some young up-and-coming journalists, and I think they've pulled away from that. Uh, which is the opposite to what they've done in, in Australia, which was... They threatened to pull away from it, but then realized that actually the contribution, the, the social license that you get from the contribution in the longer term would be better for them from a regulatory strategy perspective. I think it's also, though, a little bit easier here when uh, we don't have a very large border to the south where uh, there might be much bigger concerns about what news media businesses in the U.S., could ask of each of Facebook and Google. Yeah, well, it's always been a challenge to create content of any kind, whether it's news or entertainment, any of those things here in Canada against, uh, you know, a behemoth across the border. Yes. yes. <laughs> All right. How do you think this is? I mean, this is uh, an ongoing struggle in every country, uh, especially, well, any country that has a free press. So um, how do you think ultimately all of this is going to shake out planet wide? I think overall there has to be some some balance. I, I think actually the US is going to end up being an exception. So in some European countries, in France, for example, the uh, the solution was to say you should do this, 
And if you don't, you're probably abusing your market power and therefore will go for you under competition law, um, which would be a much worse outcome than just doing a few deals. So some deals were done. So I think actually coming to some basis which says there is value in news. There's more value in news to Google than there is to, to Meta, but there is still value in news. There's value in professional journalism. You can. It's unfair if that value isn't shared in some way. Um, so I think with Europe trending towards that approach, similar approach in well my part of the world, that the US may say, oh, well, that's something that's completely different and perhaps argue that there are some First Amendment issues there. But the rest of the world will come to a sensible balance, not the billion dollars, but a few tens of millions of dollars that actually makes sense for the advertisers and for for people to keep on creating content because the worst outcome for for Google at least would be for there to be no more journalists because then where would you get the content yeah they just have to open their own journalism uh, uh, chapter i guess or department and why, why yeah but a lot cheaper to share a bit with paying a small amount to everybody who's already out there yeah. Rob Nichols is Associate Professor of Regulation and Governance at the University of New South Wales. Fabulous of you to do this. Thanks very much. Great talking to you, Jerry. Thank you. The Breakfast Wrap with John Moore. Good morning. Jerry Agar in for John Moore again this morning. Well, hopefully he will be back tomorrow. Just a little under the weather, but good to have you along. Saw a story out of Winnipeg. An adult coyote has been located and euthanized after two children were attacked in the North Kildonan area in Winnipeg in recent weeks. By the way, as an aside in this story, they're not 100% sure they got the same coyote that attacked the kids or that it was the same coyote in each instance. But I guess somewhere along the line, some coyote had to pay. So they got one and they sent it for testing. But it's kind of cute to see them, see the wildlife in the city, but they're wildlife. And they're not as so much, I guess, a danger. I'm not an expert on this. I was just doing some reading this morning. Uh, and with this uh, Winnipeg Free Press article, that uh, they're not so much a danger to adults. And if they come around, you can make a lot of noise, make yourself look as big as possible, put your arms up in the air, that sort of thing. Um, but if you're a child or a small pet, you'll look like food, I guess. Um, I was on the bus the other day. This was on Islington. And... Got off the bus, and as I was sitting, uh, as I not sitting, standing, uh, waiting for the light to change so I could go across, and the bus was waiting as well, just as the light changed, a coyote ran out from somewhere onto the front lawn of a house that was right there on the corner. And the bus went across through the street and then stopped. There isn't another stop on the other side of the street. It just stopped so everybody on the bus, well, so the driver, I guess, could, could look at the coyote. And it wandered around in the yard for a little bit, then it ran around the other side of the house. And then the roadrunner came along and scared it away. Yeah, that's exactly right. That's what happened. And then, uh, ro- then uh, the coyote got a bomb. And then... <laughs> From the Acme Bomb Company. Yes, that's exactly right. See, that's all fun and cute and everything, but you've got to beware that they are, in fact, wild animals. And they're everywhere. 
and you don't normally even notice because during COVID, when I was broadcasting from home, I was broadcasting from the basement and it's a, like a walkout basement situation. And I'm there doing the show. And as I was doing the show, a coyote went across the, the yard. And it went in the back where it was kind of bushy back there. We were right up against the Etobicoke Creek where I used to live. And it lay down among some sticks and other things. I thought, okay. And then a minute later, I looked back. I couldn't find it. I had to concentrate. I could finally find it. Only because I knew exactly where it had laid down. And if I stared at that spot, I could figure out that's where the coyote was. That's how much it blended in. So there could be one in your backyard right now. You might not know. So if you're going to let uh, Sparky out, you know, for a pee, <laughs> you might want to go out there with him. Well, the sun's up, so you can see it. Um, and... No, the sun was up. It wasn't in the dark, Nick. They just disappear in the vegetation. It was amazing. And they're dangerous to children and pets and the like. So treat them with the respect of a wild animal. That's all I'm saying. Doesn't mean we have to get out and shoot them. Well, you can't shoot them anyway, not in Toronto. Can't shoot anything except each other, and then you get let out of prison right away. <laughs> just, okay, that's an entirely other issue. Uh, an ongoing issue was the transfer of Paul Bernardo from maximum security to medium security. And it's ongoing because the question now is what did the government know and why didn't they do anything about it? Uh, we have a report on that in a moment, but I want to say this. People could have different opinions about whether moving somebody like Paul Bernardo, maybe Canada's most, most infamous criminal, from maximum security to medium security. That's, that's a debate on an issue. That's fair enough. But if we have federal ministers lying to us, that's a totally different issue. Here's a report from Annie Bergeron-Oliver. In the days after Paul Bernardo was moved to a medium security prison, the Corrections Commissioner expressed her confusion about how the transfer took the Public Safety Minister by surprise. I understand from my staff that someone at the Public Safety Department said the Minister had not been notified. Commissioner Ann Kelly wrote to the Deputy and Assistant Deputy Minister of Public Safety on June 6th. We have a notification process in place, as you know, and we certainly followed it. The Corrections Department started that notification process in March with an email in late May informing the Public Safety Minister's office Bernardo's transfer was imminent. It will occur next week, Kelly wrote in an email titled High Profile Offender. The Prime Minister and Public Safety Minister's offices have been advised. We have media lines ready. The Deputy Minister replied minutes later thanking the Commissioner for the confirmation. It is uh, very clear that I should have been briefed at the time um, and that is something that I made abundantly clear uh, to my staff. But he wasn't. Marco Mendicino says he only found out after Bernardo was moved. Paul Bernardo? That is a bolt of lightning. A former senior Liberal staffer, Scott Reid, says there's no excuse for the communications failure. It's a head shake. It's mind-boggling. This will now forever be destined to be the absolute textbook example of how senior staff should not do their job. The families of Bernardo's victims, Kristen French and Leslie Mahaffey, want Bernardo back in maximum security and want more transparency around the decision. CSC says that they're following the law, but they refuse to tell us what criteria they're using. Though controversial, this criminologist says the move to medium security appears to follow the law. What happens in the institution is that there's a little bit more movement. There are more opportunities for him to do different kinds of things. Uh, but, but 
the surprising thing is that he was in maximum security as long as he was. The Federal Prison Service is currently looking into Bernardo's transfer, but when that review will be complete is unclear. All right, that's Annie Bergeron Oliver. And uh, is, it, is it fair for somebody who is the minister to lay the blame on the staff? Uh, I don't know. Uh, my staff did it. That's not very leaderly, it seems like to me, but you decide, talk among yourselves. Meanwhile, gruesome story out of South Carolina. A South Carolina woman died this week. She was walking her dog near a golf course where there's a kind of a lagoon near the golf course. And apparently, nobody saw it happen, but apparently an alligator came out of the lagoon, attacked and killed her. She was found dead in the Spanish Wells community of Hilton Head Island and making the story even more gruesome. Sorry, so early in the morning. But the authorities who came to deal with this had to fight off the gator, which was apparently guarding the body. This is not something that we deal with. I mean, I was talking a little bit ago, a few minutes ago, about uh, coyotes, wildlife living in the city. I've only encountered an alligator once. I was in Florida. And uh, we took a one-week trip to Florida. You know, it was all about going to Disney and all that kind of stuff. And I, I was a pretty a consistent, frequent golfer in those days. And I took my golf clubs with me. And the agreement was that... Uh, one afternoon or morning or something, I was going to go out and play a game of golf by myself. And then uh, the rest of the time was all about the kids, um, of course, for that kind of a vacation. So I'm out there golfing and I'm going along and I was by myself. And uh, on one particular hole, I hit up near the green. I'm not that good a golfer. I didn't nail the green. I, I hit it near the green on my second shot. And as I walked up, I realized that sunning himself or herself on the green was a pretty good-sized alligator, not that far from the hole. And I stood there with my wedge in my hand and thought, will it just sit there and watch me golf? I don't know. I don't know anything about alligators. So I decided I shouldn't make any decisions about what an alligator would do other than maybe it's a good idea to just be happy it's not running off the golf off the green to chase me now so i looked at the situation and i thought this is what a, this is what bad golfers do i said to myself because there was nobody else there it's me and the gator um i think i could get up and down from here and i gave myself a four <laughs> I wasn't that good a golfer. Uh, I often thought I could get up and down from there and then, you know, two, three putts ensued. But uh, in that particular instance, I just thought, I'd give myself a four and just move on from here. And that worked out for me and it worked out for the alligator, I guess. Did you get the ball through the windmill, Jerry, too? <laughs> yeah, and, uh, you know, and then the clown came along <laughs> and said, um, one of the stories we're hearing is that... Uh, the TTC against other systems, not doing well in terms of on time. I think a lot of this has to do with um, the, the buses. But uh, we're going to talk to the head of the TTC chair and city councilor John Burnside just an hour from now. That's The Breakfast Wrap. Jerry Agar for John Moore. You've been listening to The Breakfast Wrap with John Moore. Don't forget to subscribe and get the latest episode from wherever you get your podcasts. And listen weekday mornings from 5 to 9 on News Talk 1010.